30 years ago, disability rights advocates crawled up the steps of the U.S. Capitol to demonstrate to everyone how inaccessible the U.S. is. Their fight was to get the Americans with Disabilities Act passed, and they succeeded. The ADA turned 30 last week. But today, those steps are no more accessible than they were. All around America, there are separate handicapped entrances, ramps in the back or off to the side. Most entrances to public buildings are not accessible. You can get in if you are disabled around back. There are a couple of handicapped spots, making it clear that not all parking spaces are accessible. For decades, African Americans fought to end the era of Jim Crow, voter suppression, separate schools, white entrances and drinking fountains versus colored entrances and drinking fountains, white seats in restaurants versus colored seats in restaurants. The turning point came with a Supreme Court decision, Brown versus the Board of Education, in 1954. This ended 60 years of state-sanctioned discrimination from Plessy versus Ferguson. Separate was finally recognized to be not equal. In some sense, the major successes of the disability rights movement in the 1970s brought the disability community up from having basically no rights at all, in some cases, no recognition of their humanity, up to the level of Jim Crow. It may not be equal, but at least there was something there, even if it was separate. Disability Rights 1.0. I think it's time to start working on Disability Rights 2.0. I'm your host, Stephen Davis, and welcome to the fifth episode of Disability Democracy Radio. Episode five is the first in a series of episodes on Separate is Not Equal. Disability Democracy Radio is a weekly podcast about practical actions we can take, that you can take to make a difference in your community. The goal of Disability Democracy Radio is to accelerate the disability community revolution. Find out more at disabilitydemocracy.org. You can't unsee it. Once you start looking, our world of disability protection is basically built on separate but equal. But there is a lot of separate and very little equal. Our disability protection laws have even been used as a weapon against us and our fellow Americans. In 2018 in Georgia, one of the many ways Secretary of State Brian Kemp worked to suppress the vote was to close polling places for violating the Americans with Disabilities Act. Instead of making polling places accessible, he shut them down, at least in the poor communities and those mostly populated by people of color. Discrimination is hardwired into everything we have today for disability rights. Yes, there are handicapped entrances, but why are they separate? While many buildings are older, in the 30 years since ADA passed, there have been many, many brand new public buildings, and the entrances for disabled people are still off to the side or around back. This is a statement about status and power. 
Just as it was under Jim Crow, it is the same today. The message is clear. You are an afterthought. We tolerate you. We enter in front with power and dignity. For you, go around back. For older buildings, how many actually are accessible? How many times does a ramp need to be retrofitted when, whoops, we hadn't got around to that? Building codes don't even require new houses to be accessible easily transformed into houses that will be welcoming for disabled people. Who gets to pay to upgrade a house? The disabled person. Out of pocket. We've all heard stories about the handicapped parking police, people who harass those using handicapped parking spots who don't look handicapped enough. Why are only a couple of parking spots accessible for people with disabilities? Why not all of them? Public spaces are supposed to be available for everyone. There is no quota system, except for people with disabilities. Same with seating in theaters and restaurants. Why not make all seating accessible? Why aren't all new houses built to be accessible? What is our timeline to retrofit and upgrade older buildings to make them not just separately accessible, but equally welcoming to all people. How come, if we've found that ramps are helpful for everyone, that we haven't considered broadening accessibility as a potential boon for all? It's hard not to start asking awkward questions. And physical spaces are just the beginning. Just a reminder that full episode transcripts and additional resources are available at disabilitydemocracy.org. We welcome your comments, feedback, and suggestions. Let us know how we can make Disability Democracy Radio more accessible and actionable for you. Disability rights scholars and activists sometimes talk about the medical model of disability and the social model of disability. In short, the medical model has dominated how disability was and is perceived as something to be cured first, cared for second, and not always last, contained in a hospital, an institution, or an isolation and stigma. The social model of disability sees the idea of disability itself as a social construct, something we've created as a society either intentionally or accidentally. In a world without reading or cars that go 60 miles an hour, poor vision, like I have, is an inconvenience. If glasses didn't exist, I would be substantially disabled. In fact, it is a social construct that my poor vision isn't really considered a disability at all, as it is quite routine and can be supported by glasses. Learning disabilities matter a lot when you have mandatory public schooling with a curriculum structured like ours. Perhaps when we look at special education, we might start really thinking about what we are doing in education as a whole. And this is where we need to start looking with Disability Rights 2.0. Cost is blamed for the delays and failures to fund supports, accommodations, and modifications for people with disabilities. 
But those costs are high because the buildings, bureaucracies, systems, and very society that we live in are deeply discriminatory based on ability. It is everywhere. We are swimming in it and don't even see it. Stepping back from traditional disability, look at lines and restrooms at large public spaces and events. You've been there. Guys fly in and fly out. But for women, there is almost always a much longer line in the restrooms. Why is that acceptable? It would seem to be a straightforward engineering problem to accommodate the different needs of men and women to ensure that the Meantime, line to flush would be the same for both restrooms. This could and should be part of all our building codes. And if one in five people live with disability, how come there is almost always only one accessible stall in the restroom? And it is often also used for the changing room for diapers. Why aren't all restroom stalls accessible for everyone? Disability rights and inclusion and the battle against separation runs into one of the hard topics within disability, a topic that I'm only going to introduce here because it is actually hard and may be at the crux of Disability Rights 2.0. That topic is exclusion. This is hard. How and when do we separate people from other people? When do we take away some of their rights? Separate is not equal, but it is sometimes the best that we can do. We need to start with recognizing that this is our failure as a society and not theirs as an individual. Even if we abolished many of the ways disabled people are separated, there are still cases where there are and likely will always be people who are excluded. In the same fall of 2016 that my son was diagnosed with autism, a good friend of my daughter, then six years old, was diagnosed with cancer. She has since recovered, but for at least a year, she couldn't go to school. Her immune system was severely compromised by the chemotherapy that she needed to fight the cancer. She became part of special education, all of her schoolwork came home. She was literally segregated from her fellow students because we currently know of no way to really include her while we treat her. While this wound up being a good story with a happy ending, though we probably should talk about chemo brain sometime, there are many others that are more challenging and that have no good ending. Kids and adults with some forms of emotional disturbance or mental health issues. Severe autism, schizophrenia, others. There are truly hard cases out there. We cannot and we should not look away. As the disability community, if we seek to defend and define disability rights, we must truly embrace all disabilities. It was and is one of the struggles we face within the disability community today, our own stigma, our own hierarchy of disabilities. Helen Keller spoke out in favor of eugenics, as did many people in her day. Some organizations of people with physical disabilities during the disabilities rights battles in the 1970s did not want to include those with cognitive disabilities. 
once we start separating out some disabilities, we are as guilty of ableism and our own social model of disability as those we otherwise complain about. And this is where it will always be hard. My hope is that by looking more closely at our hard questions, we will achieve two things. First, we will lay bare some of the prejudices in our systems and reduce lazy, cheap, or ableist exclusion. Second, find a way to honor the human rights of those whose disabilities we are not yet able to fully support or accommodate. This episode of Disability Democracy Radio was sponsored by Not Without Us. Not Without Us is a 501c4 mutual benefit corporation. Our goal is equality for all disabled adults and kids with disabilities. You can learn more about our work at notwithoutus.org. Our strategy is built on democratic action. Whether it is providing support for disability organizations and allies through our directory at disabilitydemocracy.org, training aspiring candidates for local office, endorsing candidates, or directly working on issues. We'd like to thank Carrie Dubois and Lisa Azar for their contributions to Not Without Us. You can support Not Without Us with an annual, monthly, or one-time donation at notwithoutus.org join. If you have any questions or comments on this episode, visit disabilitydemocracy.org. You can email us, leave a comment, or even leave a voice message. I'm Stephen Davis, and on behalf of Not Without Us, we think that democracy comes not from a vote every two years, but from the actions we can take every day.